Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another week and another episode of Unscripted, where we bring you conversations from professionals from all walks of life. We touch on their backstory, their mindset, and how they navigate through adversity and opposition. I'm your host, Akeem Haynes. This week, I'm joined by someone who I've been hearing about since high school. I've been hearing about his greatness since high school, and I got the opportunity to talk with one of the arguably the greatest CFL receiver um, of all time, uh, Mr. Milt Stiegel. Originally from Cincinnati, Ohio, Milt is the youngest of five siblings. From an early age, he excelled athletically when he attended Roger Bacon High School, where he was an all-state football player, an all-city basketball player, and qualified for state in track and field. After high school, Milt attended Miami of Ohio University, where he played football for four years, But because of his speed, he also competed on the track team where he still is top three on the 100-meter list, the 200-meter list, and the four-by-one. All of those accomplished Garden Stiegel, an honorable mention in a Mid-American Conference selection as a junior. After college, Milt signed with the Cincinnati Bengals as an unrestricted free agent. He played 21 games over three seasons. In 1995... He signed with the Green Bay Packers. However, injuries derailed his time there before he was shortly released after. In 1995, later in that same season, he signed with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. As soon as he touched the field, the legend of Milt Stiegel began. In 2002, Milt would go on to have one of the greatest individual seasons in CFL history. He led the CFL in receptions with 106 in receiving yards with 1,896. He led the league in touchdowns with 23, and he had 10 100-yard games. He had an average yards per catch of 17.9 yards per game. That year, he was an obvious choice uh, to win the CFL's most outstanding player. Milt continued his excellence throughout the seasons with the Blue Bombers, Throughout his playing career, Milt still holds records today such as the most touchdowns with 147, the most receiving touchdowns in a season with 23, and the highest yards per catch average with 26 yards per catch. With numbers like that, he was a clear first ballot Hall of Famer. In 2012, he was selected as a first ballot Hall of Fame inductee, and the ceremony was right there in where he played all of his CFL career. After his playing career ended, Milt joined the TSN analysts, where he still does commentary work for the CFL to this day. You see, I've heard Milt since I was high school, as I said in the beginning. Um, and every person that I ask about Milt Stiegel, you know, what do they think about him? They always talk about his hard work, his consistently, but most importantly, who he is off of the field. Milt is heavily involved in churches and the communities that uh, he's around. This is an episode filled with a lot of great points and perspective and reflection from one of the greatest players to step on the field. While we know he's a great football player, you know, he's probably a greater person away from the field. Uh, I really enjoy this conversation. Milt is the real deal. You know, we go back and forth a little bit about speed and which sport is the real speed. Um, But, uh, Without further ado, enjoy this week's episode with Hall of Famer Milt Stiegel. Whoa, whoa, before you go, 
do us a huge favor. Head over to Apple Podcasts or Apple iTunes or wherever you can leave podcast review. And do me a favor and just leave us a quick review of the podcast. You know what I'm saying? Let us know your thoughts. If you have any comments, we would love to know. But do us a huge favor and go over there and leave us a review of the podcast. That small act goes a long way in moving the podcast forward. Thank you in advance. We appreciate you. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Bill. You can hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, I can, man. How are you doing? Man, I'm doing great. How about yourself? Oh, man. I'm always grateful, so I can't complain, man. <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's it's, good. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on today, man. I'm looking forward to the conversation. I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, so I want to start here, man. Uh, I want to go backwards before we go forwards. Um, 2020, one of the most interesting years we've seen in quite some time. Um, I want to know, how did you navigate through all of the emotions that was happening last year? How did you deal with that from a physical, personal standpoint, family standpoint, work standpoint? But I also, I also want you to give me a positive from last year. Well, you, you know what? And that's what I was going to start with. Uh, I mean, I always look at the, the optimistic side of things. You know, the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning, I say, thank God for allowing me to wake up. And then the rest is on me. So, uh, I mean, I looked at it as, as, I mean, it wasn't all positive, but it gave me an opportunity that I hadn't had in years. You know, I'm usually traveling six months out of the year, back and forth to Toronto, of course, working on TSN. But now I was at home for six months, getting to spend a bunch of time with the family. I know after a certain point of time, they got tired of me because I'm <laughs> work out and do everything. But I, I looked at it from that aspect. I, I know there were uh, a few negative things as far as, uh, not being able to uh, to do some of the other things I wanted to do as far as traveling and all that stuff. But as far as everything else goes, man, th- there are there, there were no negative sides uh, uh, for me because I woke up every day. I got to see my family more than I usually did. I'm, I'm happy. I'm healthy. They're happy. They're healthy. We're, we're not any, uh, looking for any financial problem, anything like that. Everything is good. So uh, I looked at it as, as, as all positive. And I uh, it's unfortunate that everyone else couldn't look at it at that aspect and I understand, you know, everyone, you know, have different problems, different concerns, different dilemmas. But as far as I go, I mean, it, it, it was all uh, head up, eyes open. Everything was good to go. You know, Milt, I want to ask you, um, you know, I know similar people that know you who know you relationship wise. And I've been doing my own research, man. I want to ask, you know, just a question that just came to mind. Um, how much of your faith has helped you get through this time, right? Because I think a lot about faith is being able to handle the uncertainties, right? And having something that helps us to hold on to as we're going through it. What was that like for you going through that? How did your faith help you uh, stay grounded? Man, I mean, it, every day <laughs> you, you talk about my faith and that, that what's, that's what keeps me grounded, keeps, my, keeps me level-headed, keeps my head up knowing that uh, there's someone out there looking out for me. And things may not turn out the way I want them to, but they're going to turn out the way they're intended to. And mm. that's how I look at life. You know, no matter what happens, I know there's a purpose for what's happening to me, what I'm going through with my family, with my friends, whoever it may be that, I, that I'm concerned with what they're going through. And I know there's a reason for that. So that keeps a smile on my face. No matter what's going on, I got a smile on my face. I'm happy, as I alluded to early. When I wake up, I say, that's all I need right there. 
I've been doing it for 51 and a half years now. So uh, that, that, that foundation being rooted in faith allows me to stay optimistic, allows me to keep a smile on my face and allow me to keep going uh, in the right direction every single day. One of my favorite scriptures is Galatians 6, verse 9, where it says, do not be weary for doing good for at the proper time. You'll reap a harvest mm-hmm. if you don't give up. I want to know, Milt, what's what's one of your favorite staple scriptures that helps you, man? Because, again, scripture says life and death is in the power of the tongue. And I'm always a firm believer in that. But you don't have to know the whole book. But there's a couple right. in there that keep right, you, that right, keep right, you right. And, and, and I don't I don't want to. Of course, I'm going to paraphrase. And I think it's is it Galatians. See, the 13 or three, four, three, when it talks about what love is, it talks about mm. love is 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 patient. It does not basically live in the past. It doesn't <laughs> revel in, in things that happen to it. And it, it, it's one of the, it's a verse that I, I, I think about every single day, because there's been some times where you look at individuals or you look at a situation and you're ready to blow up. And if you can say, OK, put love in your heart and realize Man, if I if I love this situation, if I love this person, even if this person is, is, is or this situation is not loving me back, I'll be at ease. And that's mm. all do is do what control what you can control. And all I can control is me and the way I react to situations, uh, the way I control things, the way I should react to others, not just others who treat me well, but also others who don't treat me well. And, and, and that's something I try to live by every single day. It's not easy. Yeah. Some uh, I don't succeed. I won't sit up and lie and say. I'm always smiling, always happy, always loving everybody because there are some times where uh, I, I lose myself. And yes, sir. <laughs> I am human, but for the most part, I, I try to keep that in my heart. Man, that's beautifully said. Thank you for that. Uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, family of five. Um, you know, <laughs> that can be, uh, it's obviously a big family. There's a team right there as well too, Milk. But I, mm-hmm. but I want to know, man, from a different perspective, like, what were some of the things that your parents instilled in you at that age? Like, what were your summers like, right? Because I'm sure you had some, <laughs> you had a lot of, you had to create that fun and that excitement, right? So I'm wondering, um, what did your summers look like? But also, what were some things that you got from your parents, maybe directly or indirectly? Well, from my parents, and they didn't have to say it, they showed it. They showed me with uh, hard work, with sacrifice, uh, you can achieve anything. Uh, my parents. Uh, my father was born in 1922 in rural Georgia. <laughs> kids. Uh, my mother was born in 1932. So, I mean, in 1935. So uh, they, and they came from nothing, you know, only high school educated, but uh, they showed me and my other four siblings with hard work and with sacrifice, you can achieve anything. So they made sure they instilled that in us. They made sure that we all uh, went to college and had that opportunity, opportunities that they didn't have. And they were able to do that because of that hard work and that sacrifice. So that was instilled in me, not just in sports, but just in all aspects of life. If you're willing to to put in that hard work, you're willing to sacrifice, you're willing to get your hands dirty sometimes and, and get ugly and come through that adversity, you can achieve anything. And that was instilled in me. They didn't, like I said, they didn't say it. They showed it with the way they carried themselves, with the way they were and with everything they did. And it was instilled in not only myself, but my siblings also. Uh, my summers, uh, they were great summers. Uh, they, they got they got a little bit rougher or more so than I wanted to because my family, uh, my parents opened up a grocery store. And from the time I was 13 until the time I basically left college, I had to work in that store every single day. It was the gift and the curse. It was the <laughs> I couldn't get fired from. So I worked in that store every day in the summer from seven to four. But 
Working in that store taught me so much. It instilled to me, uh, you need to be professional. You need to be punctual. You need to be on time because you deal with the public. Uh, you have to be courteous. So uh, it, it enlightened me and instilled in me things that allowed me to be the person and the man I am today. So I hate them and I love them for it. But I mean, those summers in that store taught me a lot. And like I said before, it, it, it taught me things that I still live by to this very day. Man, it seemed like hard work was one of those things that's been very apparent, not only for you, but for your family as well, too. Um, and I know that is one thing that you pride yourself on, right? Hard work. But going to uh, Roger Bacon High School, you know, how did you get involved into football? Because I know that, hey, you you were three-sport athlete. You know what I'm saying? You could who? <laughs> I've been doing some research and we're going to get into the track side of things. Yeah, there you go. I know you want to get into that. <laughs> but I want to know, because I know sometimes, uh, you know, you hear a bunch of stories from people say, you know, at the moment that I found this sport or I touched the ball that I knew this was what I wanted to do. But then there are others that just said, Hey, you know, I was good at it. So I just roll with it. But what was mm-hmm. that like for you? Because again, hard work is already instilled in you, but right. d- did you think that this could maybe be something here? Well, actually, no. And I started playing football because one of my older brothers, who was like three and a half years older than me, uh, he started playing. And he was eight and I was just like four and a half. So I was too small. But I told my parents, specifically my mother, if you don't let me play, I'm going to throw a tantrum. So (laughs) she let me go out there. And my first two years, because I was just so much smaller than everyone, I didn't really touch the field. So I was just practicing. You know, my pants were down to my ankles. So I was just learning the game. But as I got of age and when I was like like seven or eight, when I really got to play, I was so much more advanced than other kids because that was their first year playing. That was like my third or fourth year on the football field. So I was just so much more advanced than everyone. But, you know, I, I, I love just playing sports. And as you alluded to, I played every single sport. I did, you know, football, basketball. I played soccer. And, and actually, we'll get to this, but track was my favorite sport of all. Really? Gymnastics. <laughs> I did tennis. I did volleyball. I just loved being active, playing sports, and it was just all around me. So football, you just said, it was just one I happened to be the best in. It got me a scholarship to college. It allowed me to play professionally, and and it's still part of my life now because I talk about football for a living. So it was the one I excelled in the most. It wasn't the one that I loved the most. It was just the one I excelled in the most. When I was growing up, um, especially when I started to understand that, you know, I could get a full scholarship here, right? I didn't really know too much about, you know, American schools, you know, coming from Jamaica, originally coming to Canada, but I'm like, wait a minute, I can get a full scholarship here. Like this is, this is, Hey, this could be a path. Right. What was that situation like for you? Because Cincinnati, Ohio, you went to Miami, Ohio. Um, Mm -hmm. What was that whole process like? Because I think nowadays people get so fixated on, I have to go to the big school, right? If I don't Mm. go to the big school, I'm a bust or whatever the case may be, not realizing that sometimes the big schools may not be the best for you. So how did right. you how did you navigate through that whole recruiting process? And, you know, where it was was staying close to home. One of the reasons was what what was that process look like? Because I don't really hear many people talking about this. They say you got to go this, you got to go here. But it's a mm-hmm. process that aligns to it. So walk me through a little bit of your process picking that school. Yeah, and it is a process. And part of the reason why I did pick Miami Ohio because I did want to be closer to home. My senior year, uh, my father had just passed away. And, you know, my older siblings, uh, for the most part, was gone. So I didn't want to go too far 
away from my mom. I didn't want to stay at home and go to University of Cincinnati, but I didn't want to go too far away. And Miami of Ohio uh, was like an hour and a half from Cincinnati. So if I needed to get home back to my mother, it wasn't a problem. But the pro- process that I went through is so much different than what kids go through now. I mean, they, they pretty much, uh, they have to pretty much sell themselves as far as going to camps and putting all this stuff on social media and YouTube, where when I played, uh, the scouts and the coaches came and saw us. So they would come to our games on Friday night. So uh, going into my junior year, I started having scouts uh, scout me. They were actually scouting me for football and a couple of schools for basketball, but mainly for football. And came my senior year, I mean, I had uh, 20 schools actually offer me scholarship. So uh, some of the big schools uh, were looking at me. North Carolina State and Michigan State and Kentucky were the biggest schools, but they were very honest with me. Kentucky offered me, Michigan State and North Carolina State said, we want to offer you, but we want to see if the guys we really want, if, except our offer and then we're, and I, and I appreciate that honesty. So uh, I was on the verge of those schools, but I didn't want to wait for them. And I, like I said, I had like a total of 20 schools and I decided on Miami of Ohio, uh, mainly because of the academics. It's a great school academically. Uh, football wise, they were okay. And the big thing was they weren't too far from home. And I didn't want to stay right at home at UC. UC was better football wise, but I just didn't want to be right at home because I knew Cincinnati like the back of my hand. So I decided on Miami of Ohio. It was a good foot, good fit. Uh, my roommate uh, in college uh, also played football, and he was a guy that I grew up with. So there was no transition as far as getting my roommate. So uh, the main, like I said, the main reason was because I didn't want to be too far away from my mother. You know, um, before we get into the Miami Ohio part, this question just came to mind. Um, I I did do some research, and I did know that your father passed away. Uh, you were seventeen at the time, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, before I was seventeen, I lost two of the closest people to me at that time. Um, I lost my friend uh, when I was seven years old and my grandfather Mm -hmm. when he was 12. Um, But before my grandfather passed away, you know, it was, it, it, it hit me kind of hard because I always promised him like, Hey man, I'm going to come back to Jamaica and see you. I'm going to come back and Mm -hmm. see you. And I wasn't able to, but I remember one of my last conversations that I had with him, you know, in Jamaica, you know, we were sitting um, at his house, there was a big coconut tree in the backyard, chopping some coconuts, drinking. And um, he would always say things to me that didn't make sense right then and there. He would always say, you know, hard work is going to pay off. It just may not pay off in the areas that you wanted to. You know, he would say, you just have to believe that you can do it, work for it, keep the faith and good things will happen. Uh, Milt, I want to ask you, um, uh, one, what were some of the things that your father said to you maybe at that age when you were 16, 17. And did you feel a bit of a burden carrying that and then trying to go to uh, college because you didn't want to go too far from your mom? Um, but what was that whole process like? Because, you know, I, I, I think it's very important that we understand that uh, certain things is a part of life and we can't really escape it. No, definitely, definitely, definitely. And his death was, was tough, uh, but... I mean, I looked at it, you know, uh, I alluded to this earlier, I tried to be optimistic about everything. I looked at it as an optimistic way and saying that, you know, I had him for 17 years. And wow. I was basically a man by then. And, 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 and the traits that he instilled in me, they were in me and they were in me deep. And something he used to tell me, and this is one of the reasons why I love track more than any other sport. His thing was control what you can control. and Don't worry about anything else. And the reason why I love track, and I'm not a selfish person, but in track, when I won or when I lost, it was all on me. 
going to be a time where I lost because somebody outworked me. In football and team sports, I don't care how good you are. You need other individuals yes. out. And if those other individuals haven't done what they needed to do, you're going to lose. But in track, when I won, I knew it was because I was the fastest that day. And if I lost it, I was because I was the slowest. It wasn't because that individual, or I was slower. It wasn't because of that individual outworking. Because I control what I can control. And I was working hard. I was being professional. I was doing all those things he instilled in me. And he would always say that, control what you can control. If you can control being professional, being on t- all those things, you make sure you're the best. Uh, you're best being on time. You're always professional, all those things. So uh, when I went to Miami of Ohio, I had that instilled in me. And it allowed me to get through because there was some adversity I faced there, but it allowed me to get through that and get me to the point where I am today. What was that transition like? Because I went to uh, before I went to University of Alabama, I went to uh, Barton Community College in Kansas. And, you know, Barton, Kansas, you know, it has maybe like fifteen hundred people. Right. Right. Really but, then you, right. But, yeah, but then you go to Alabama and it's like, yo, there's thirty five thousand. <laughs> and Mel, man, to, to, to keep it 100 percent honest, man, I was not used to the schedule. You're having conference on next Sunday, but you're leaving on this Sunday. Yes. And, some, and some of the teachers yes. is not is not giving you a pass because they already no. think you got it spoiled. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute, you want me to write a test on SEC day when my scholarship is on the line, <laughs> right? right? And so my my GPA actually fell, but I had to learn the things along the way. But what was that transition like for you? Because you're a student athlete, so to speak, but the athletic side <laughs> takes up all of your time. What was that transition like for you? Did you have some mentors that helped you along the way? Well, you, you hit it on the head, time management. And they, they preached that to us. But early on, I was like, man, I got this. <laughs> I, I can procrastinate. You know, I want to be a college student. But when you're a student athlete, as you mentioned, it takes over a lot. So if you don't manage your time, you will get swallowed up. You have to manage when you're going to study. You have to manage when you're going to be that uh, normal college student when you don't get too many opportunities to be because majority of your time you're working out, you're lifting, you're training. So when it time, when you have that free time, if you don't manage it correctly, you'll get swallowed up and spit out. And that's, that's all that happened to some of the guys who I came up with, came in with. They didn't last long because they were trying to be that normal college student, not realizing that, yeah, you are there to learn, but you're also there learning based on what you do in the football field because they're paying you uh, they're paying for your uh, education. So it was a learning experience. Uh, I definitely had some older individuals who were there who actually went to my high school who uh, helped me out early on and said, okay, you got to get this together because you're not going to last because they saw individuals fall by the wayside. So after that first semester, I got it together. I was I understood about time management and that made that transition a lot easier because it was tough at the beginning because I thought I was going to walk in and I had everything figured out. I was the man and you got to realize that you're back at the bottom of the totem pole. Oh, and if you don't go in there and get things together, as I mentioned, you'll get swallowed up and spit out and they'll move on and find somebody else. So I was fortunate that I was able to figure it out. And I did pretty good as when once I did get it figured out. It's so funny because, you know, uh, you may go to a school, you may be the best in your, in your city, in your state, but then you yes. get to one of these schools and like, it's like, yo, everybody's the best in their state. <laughs> but you know, I want to know, man, because this, you don't really see it anymore in this generation. Um, but going back to yours, the dual sport athlete, right? Yes. I want to know, walk me through the transition from football to going back into track. Like, did you have to lose some weight? Because, you know, you got to be, you got to be kind of slender. You got to be in. 
but just to touch on the on the backstory of the track so you know i'm you know i'm 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 there doing my due diligence i'm doing the research i'm like okay you know let me see what my man milt is working with and so i go to the all-time list and i'm like okay he's on the two uh, on the hundred you uh you're still number three right there right, right. now right and 44 right. i said wait a minute okay he's in the two as well too i said okay you're number six on that list 21 two but what caught my eye was i didn't know you ran the four as well too Yes. And you're yes. number eight on that list with a time yes. of 47.3. And then, you know, your team is number one in the relay. It's milk, man. Hey, you was a dog, man. <laughs> <laughs> you, and, and, and like I mentioned, track is my first love. And I didn't start running track until I got to high school. And once I got on that track, I'm like, this is the greatest thing in the world. I, I remember a meet where our track coach was like, okay, I want everyone to run a different event or do a different event than they never done. And most of the sprinters, they picked the field event. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to try the 800. I'm gonna wow. I'm try the 800. And the first time I ran the 800 my freshman year, I ran like a 202. I was like, wow. Really? Yeah, and I ran wow. a little bit after that. But I was like, well, that train, that's, that train is. <laughs> so I, I stuck with the four, two, and the one. But, I mean, I, I just love track. Not only the meets, I just love training for track. Uh, how tough it is, how 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 exhilarating and when you get to those meets and you know what I'm talking about and you look up and you see those fans and you take off and you run around that track and man it's it's the greatest feeling in the world and as I've talked about it before I don't need anyone to help me out I mean in the relay you do but majority of the time I'm running by myself and I know whatever happens it it, it happens because that person was better than me or they weren't better than me it wasn't because they outworked me and that's what I loved about track it was all on me because I was hard as work. I, I always tell everyone, and I don't, I don't know if you heard this, but it's the treadmill story where if you and I are on the treadmill and the objective is we're going to see who can run the longest on this treadmill, one or two things are going to happen. I'm going to win. Or I'm going to die. You're not going to beat me. And that's, that's as I failed in track. You know, yeah, you may beat me, but it's, it wasn't because you outworked me. So, I mean, I finally got to run my last two years in, in college. The football coach finally let me run and, I mean, I had so much fun and uh, I had more fun than I did playing football because it was the one sport that I loved more than anything. Was there, was there a game or because, you know, you, you, you decided to go with football, but was there a game that said, you know what, I, I really think I can play at the next level here because I'm a firm believer that you always get a glimpse of something before something comes or the, or the, or, or the idea may say, you know what, I can play at that next level. Was there a game for you when you were playing that you kind of felt like, man, I could, Hey, I, there's more here. Well, it, it actually happened and it wasn't a regular season game. It was our spring game. And at the time, uh, my receiver coach, Sean Watson, uh, he was relatively young. He was only like 28, 29 years old. And one of his good buddies played tight end for the Chicago bears and his good buddy was at our spring game. And before this point, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have no ink in the playing professional football. But after that game, his buddy pulled me to the side and he said, you can play the NFL. You could play in the NFL right now if you had that opportunity. So after that, I was like, wow, okay, that opened up my eyes. And, you know, I started looking at the game differently. I started, uh, scouts started talking to me, started coming to practices and, that's what opened up the door. But before that, I mean, I, I didn't think about it because as you know, uh, you went to Alabama. I went to Miami of Ohio. It's not a big football school. They, they, they don't have the money. They don't have the same athletes. Mm-hmm. They don't have all the same, uh, the, the fanfare that comes with it. I mean, it's just, it's just not there. So 
we didn't have that. So up to that point, I had no 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 inkling or no no uh, uh, wherewithal to think that I could play in the NFL. But after that, I mean, that opened up the door, and I had that opportunity, and I took full advantage of. It. Everyone um, that I've spoken to when I've asked them about you, and from what I've seen, said, "Man, Milk Milk works hard. He's a hard worker, right?" But I think a lot of people don't understand what that hard work looks like. You know what I'm saying? Like for me in track and field, in anything that I do, I always got to do extra because I always feel like I'm a step yes. behind. I'm yes. like, man, you know, yes. whatever I would see on the track, you know, I'd be on the track and I would see, you know, uh, guys like Bolt and Johan Blake. I'm like, man, these guys are all above 5'10", right? I'm 5'7". I'm like, I already have to work harder. You know what I'm saying? But like, what does hard work what is your definition of hard work? But what did that look like for you behind closed doors, right? Because that's when it yes. really matters. That's when it matters. That's when it matters. And, and I tell my sons this, yeah, everybody works hard in practice. <laughs> in practice. What are you doing when no one's watching? What are you doing? And that's, that, that's when the hard work happens, you know, when, when no one's patting you on the back or they see you. And that's when I really killed it. That's when I really... Uh, broke my body down and I'd be crying sometimes and sore and bleeding, but I knew those were the times where I was going, I was going to grow mentally and physically, because if you, if you're waiting to see uh, if you're going to, you're going to start working hard, like I say, in practice or, or when game day comes, it's not going to happen. It all depends on what you do when no one's watching. And that's when I got the best out of myself. Of course, I enjoy working with other individuals, getting that work in, but I would get the work in with them and then go get some more work by myself. Yeah, maybe some days where I was sore or I would tweak something or hurt something, but I knew that's when I was going to get better. And as I said, mentally and physically, because if you think you're going to get better because you're doing what everyone else is doing, it's not going to happen. You have to do a lot more extra work. You have to put in that extra work, that extra time. And that's when you start getting better. You know, you, uh, you went undrafted and then signed with the Cincinnati um, Bengals. What was that experience like? Because, you know, I think there's so much that, that people talk about. They say, if you don't get drafted, man, you're never going to be able to play. But I'm like, this is, this is, it's kind of like when people see the Olympics, they all they see is the Olympics, but I'm like, you realize we race these guys year round, right? Year round, right. (laughs) And there's more past the Olympics, right? But what was that process like for you? I want to ask, like, did, did that bring a type of chip on your shoulder? Or what was that like? Well, it, it wasn't a surprise. What happened uh, my junior year, I mean, I had a great junior year, relatively speaking. And going into my senior year, I was projected, and this is when they had 12 rounds. I was projected to be like a fifth uh, to seventh rounder. But my senior year, uh, our coach, who had spent his second year there, he decided he wanted to go with the quarterback he recruited. And this quarterback was, was raw. This was his first time starting in college. And the offense wasn't clicking. So my <laughs> I mean, it had like three, 400 yards receiving one touchdown. And so my, 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 my status, it just dropped. And I knew I was going to be a free agent. So it actually worked out better because I had like seven teams who wanted to sign me and myself and my agent. And we looked at the teams and we said, okay, this is the opportunity. This is the team I have the best opportunity of making. And it just happened to be my hometown team. Yeah. I went in. And, uh, you know, of course I worked hard, but it also some luck happened my way, luck, my way, not luck, another guy way, but one of the starters got hurt. So that opened up a spot and I was able to come in through the back door and 
I did well in preseason. They saw what I was doing in practice. I knew all five positions as far as receivers go. I returned punts. I returned kicks. I did everything they asked me to do. And I ended up playing for the Cincinnati Bengals for three years. But it's not all it's cracked up to be. I mean, I say it's the gift and the curse because uh, when you're on the bottom of the totem pole, you're on a losing team, it's tough. Because uh, every single week they are cutting players because they're trying to make their team better. So we're on the bottom of the totem pole. Those are the first guys to go. So every single day for three years, I would come in and say, man, are they going to ask me to come <laughs> and bring my playbook with me? I'm seriously, seriously, every single day for three years, I was coming in every single day not knowing what was going to happen because we were horrible. In three years, I think we won 16 games. So when mm. you're the they're trying to bring in players and make the team better. So, I mean, thank God I got an opportunity to play in my hometown, but it, it, it was tough because mentally you just didn't know what was going to happen each and every day. What was that like from um, an external perspective? Like, what was that like for your mom and, and your siblings seeing that? Because again, you know, to be able to say, you know, you can, you can watch me on Sundays, watch me on Thursdays. Like that's man. pretty special. Right. But to be in your hometown, Milt, man, what was that like away from the lights, but to be just the foundational pieces from the people that matter the most to you? It was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. And my mother, uh, my mother didn't want me to play football. <laughs> I playing, uh, true story. I started playing football and I talked about it when I was four. And the first time my mother saw me play was my senior year in college because she was like, wow. I couldn't see you because she was scared I was going to yeah. get hurt. So she couldn't come see me play. But once I started playing for the Bengals, she was proud. She would come to the home games. And if it was cold, she'd come in her fur coat with her hat on. She was showing up, bragging her all her friends. She was so proud of me. So same way with my siblings. Uh, three of them didn't live in Cincinnati, but they would come in town yeah. and my good friends. But, you know, once we started losing, no one. <laughs> <laughs> so it was pretty bad after that. But early on, you know, uh, everyone loved it. it. It was something special. Even when we were losing. You know, I had so much love in Cincinnati and uh, being able to go back to my local high school yeah. and speak to the students and to the football team. And it was truly special. And it was times that I cherish and, and I think about still to this day. So how did you get how did you get to Winnipeg? Because, you know, I, I, I forgot that Cincinnati has has pretty, pretty cold winters as well, too. Yeah. Um, but- no, nothing like Winnipeg, though. <laughs> nothing like Winnipeg. What? What was that transition like? Did you know anything about the CFL? Because just from my notion, like I, I, I didn't, um, a lot of Americans don't really know too much about the CFL until maybe right, someone tells right. them. But how did that come into play for you? Well, ap- after my three years with the Bengals, I uh, left there and then I signed with the Green Bay Packers. Uh, then with the Packers, I got hurt the first day of training camp. So I pulled my hamstring. And so that was pretty much it. So uh, Time, you know, the final cuts, they didn't have any choice. They didn't have any film to watch me. So yeah. me and I'm thinking, okay, if no one signs me, my career is over with. It's time to move on and, and get a real job or whatever. So I was on my way. And then my agent reached out to me. He's like, there's a team in the CFL, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, who have your rights. I'm like, who? <laughs> Blue Bombers or whatever. And yeah, I was like, what? So, you know, I looked at an encyclopedia. Of course, internet wasn't around then. And I was like, Winnipeg is above North Dakota. And I thought to myself, you know, I was 25 and having the responsibility. I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. So I remember I went up there. It was September. I had on a sweatshirt and some shorts. And I got off the plane, and it was probably about hey. 9, 10 degrees. <laughs> like, what have I gotten myself into? But you know what? It, it, it was the best decision I've made 
one of the as far as sports go, it's, it's the best decision I've made in my life because I still get so much love. I'm still uh, uh, getting opportunities in Winnipeg beyond football to this day. So it was one of the best decisions I've besides marrying my wife and and having kids. It was one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. Not only because of what happens on the football field, more so the things that continue to still happen off the football field, the way I'm treated. I got a, a street named after me. In yeah, it, it, it's one of the best decisions I ever made in my life, and I wouldn't change it for anything. You know, before we get on onto the football field of things, you know, Milt, I think um, you've done a lot of stuff in the community as I was reading, right? I'm like, man, this is, this is, uh, this is a person with a solid foundation. But I want to know, Milt, where does that community feel like come from for you? You know, to be able to go out. I think this is why people love Jesus so much because you could touch him, right? Back mm. then he was going mm. to the streets. You could touch him. I'm a firm believer that hope needs to be seen and shown, right? And in right. the best way to do it is, is to be there. I'm wondering, yes. did your upbringing had an impact to do with how you treated people on it every single day because you didn't have to go out there it's cold it's two degrees <laughs> your ears are cold you don't have to but you chose to and you did it quite a bit walk me through a little like what made you say you know what I want to I don't just want to be here to play football but I really want to get involved in the community here the ears cold nose hair <laughs> everything but as you mentioned, it goes back to that foundation my parents laid in me, specifically, you know, the same things I used to see my father do. I mean, my father, he owned real estate and there would be times where people couldn't pay their rent and he wouldn't evict them. He would say, I'm going to work with you. He was nice. I remember wow. he driving down uh, to Noonan, Georgia, where he was from, and he would just pick up hitchhikers and give them money. And wow. I know, but that, that was just my father. He was the nicest person in the world. I mean, he, he would give up his last dime to help out someone. His saying was, if, 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 if I owe you a dollar and you're worth a billion dollars and it takes me a billion dollars to get you this dollar, I'm going to find a way. And, and that's the way I looked at things, always trying to give back. Uh, and it wasn't always about money. It was all, it, it could be your time. It could be the kind word. It could be that smile. It could just be just a handshake with, with someone. Those little things like that go away, uh, go a long way. So I had a platform and I just wanted to make sure I used that for a platform. People would listen to me. Uh, do they always like the things I said? <laughs> they would listen to me. And I was all about giving back. So every time, every single chance I had an opportunity to give back in Winnipeg, I did. I'm still doing it to this day. Yeah. The community, uh, not only Winnipeg, but the entire province of Manitoba gave so much to me. Uh, and I just try to give some of that back, but they gave so much to me. Uh, that's the least I could do. Try to give back uh, whenever, whenever, whenever I get an opportunity to do it. You have so much records in the league. It's, 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 it's madness if I would try and ask you everything about it. But the one that stuck out to me the most was the 147 TDs, because that's a yeah. lot of times in the end zone. Um, Mel, give me, give me, Give me your top five favorite moments um, in the league. Because again, even coming up to it, the adjustment, bigger ball, three downs. Uh, you may be, you may be running a post corner and some and and some ice maybe some snow be falling in your face. Right. And so there's all these different dynamics. But uh, what were some of your favorite moments uh, throughout your career? But then I also want you to give me some of that inside scoop on the trash talking because you cannot be oh, yeah. a sprinter. You cannot be a sprinter, Milk. 
if you know we don't it. talk a little trash. You 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 know it. You know it. Well, it, it, it took me, uh, and I came up there with that American, uh, arrogant American attitude coming from the NFL. Like I'm gonna go up there and tear up this league. <laughs> I mean, I, I I did, and every American absolutely have it. And I was literally smacked in the face, like, no, this is a different game, young buck. You got to get used to this. So it took me literally like maybe about 22 games to totally get used to it wow. because it put me in that slot right away. And I remember those first few games, I'm like, man, I can't do this. I'm lining up basically on the line of scrimmage. But once I got used to it, once I mastered it, uh, I mean, I, I was pretty much able to do some great things. And you talk about touchdowns. That was my thing. Talk about the top five. Uh, plays. Uh, I remember my first touchdown uh, in Calgary. I think that would be number five. Uh, what would be number four? Uh, I think number four was, uh, it was in 2005 where I had four catches for four touchdowns. Hey. Hey. hey, come on now. <laughs> I think that would be number four. I think number three would be uh, when I broke uh, Allen Pitt's receiving yardage record. And I say Allen Pitt's because uh, a lot, and maybe even I do consider him the greatest receiver. I think he's the only receiver to have all three major stats where he held all of them as far as yardage, receptions, and touchdowns. Uh, he doesn't look as good as me, but he may be. He may be <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, I, I, I would say number two uh, is when I broke the touchdown record. Uh, it was in Winnipeg, and it wasn't the touchdown. It was the roar of the crowd and everything that came with it. I mean, and, and people might say, why is that number one? I'll get the number one. But that that crowd and the way they were screaming and yelling and the ruck, that was something special. And that's what I miss about football. It's not actual football, but it's those crowds mm-hmm. and the treatment. But number one has to be the last second 100-yard touchdown in, in Edmonton with four seconds left. Uh, that, that That's my number one play. And I always tell people that's one of the greatest plays in football. I don't care what league you play, <laughs> where you live, where you're from. Uh, I mean, th- that's my favorite play. And a lot of people come up to me and tell me that's their favorite play. So those are my top five plays. You know, that that was actually the first the first time that I've seen you um, was that play, you know, because it was, it was pressure, man. It was so much pressure situation, two seconds left. But, you know, you're a pressure guy, pressure situation, make us, <laughs> right? But I want to, and I actually want to backpack off that. What was that preparation like on game day for you? Um, was there a certain, were you a superstitious guy? Was there a certain type of music that you had to listen to? And Milt, I want to know, man, how, how do you go about handling pressure? Because what mm. I realize with people in general, um, I'm out of sport now, but being able to mentor some of them, I said, look, in a pressure situation, you don't change anything. You just trust mm-hmm. your preparation. <laughs> yes, yes, that's it. That, that's it. And, and, and that's the only thing I was superstitious about. Did I prepare enough? Did I do everything? Mm. I know on game day guys want to, some guys lay out their uniform or they wear the same outfit or eat the same thing or listen to the same music. As long as I prepared the week of or the months coming, leading up to the game, whatever it may be, I'm good to go. It's like a test. When you're in school, you don't pass a test on test day. You pass a test depending on what you did leading up to the test. Same way I felt when game day came around. As long as I did everything I could do, and as, as I talked about it before, as long as I controlled everything I can control leading up to the game, I was good to go. And when game day came, it was time to have fun. It was go out there and, and show off and, and and score touchdowns. And as we'll get to later on, talk smack. And I was pretty good at doing that. And <laughs> stuff, you know, and you talk about pressure. 
man, I play football for a living. And I used to always tell myself, okay, yeah, I'm trying to go out there and, and win, but this is not pressure. This is supposed to be fun. I'm supposed mm-hmm. to myself. Yeah, I was nervous. I was nervous before every game. And I was, I tell people, if you're not nervous before something like that, you're not prepared. I was nervous, ah, yes. but I knew I was going to get it done because what I did the weeks leading up or the months leading up. But as far as pressure, regardless, I could drop 10 passes. I can c- catch 10 passes. I'm not going to allow something that I've been doing since I was four years old where I'm supposed to have fun putting any pressure on me. There are, there's enough. There are many situations that I love that I'm going to let put pressure on me, but it's not going to be playing football. I remember two weeks before uh, the Olympic Games in 2016, uh, we go up to England and we're playing, uh, we're running a relay um, against the British team. Stadium is packed. It's rocking. It's jumping. We're walking out. Um, the British are, you know, cheering for their, you know, for their team. They got some chant right. going on, but I'm like, man, we just flew over on Wednesday and we're about to run on Thursday. So my squad is functioning off five hours of sleep. Right. <laughs> and so we go there and we run the relay and two of the British teams beat us. Right. And they're ecstatic. They're shouting, they're booing us. I'm like, okay, I'm a member of this. Right. Right. We, right. We, about a month later, we go to the Olympics and uh, we're going into the call room of the final. And one of my friends on that team, an old trading partner, he puts his shoulder on me before we go into it. He says, hey, man, you ready to come behind us again? All right. Wow. And I'm there just laughing. I'm just like, man. And they ended up getting six. So they didn't even come top three. So it wasn't <laughs> even a conversation. But Milt, I'm, I'm, I share that story because I'm wondering, man, what was that like for you? Because trash talk is a sense of that oh, fun that you're talking about. It's that competitive yes. feel. What are some things that you will be saying? Are you because there's different type of trash talkers? There's the hey man, you know you you look good today, but I'm still gonna drop five on you. Or there's <laughs> the there's the aggressive trash talk where it's like you stand no chance. What, right, right. What type of what type of one was Milt Stegall? Well, it, it all depended on, you know, what part of the game. Early on, like before the game, I'm nice. Man, how's the family doing, man? You're looking good. Hey, that last game, you played well, man. Have a great game. But when the game starts, that's when I, that's that's when it opens up. And, I'm you know, I, I, I don't curse. I'm not going to say anything malicious. I'm, I'm, I'm going to beat you with kindness. I'm just going to wear you down. They say something like, hey, after this game, uh, the coach wants to know, do you want an aisle or a window? <laughs> because... You're pretty much going to get cut after this game. So, you know, I would say it in a nice way. I would say things like that. And I was like, you know, get used to seeing my last name because that's all you're going to see because I'm running back. And I wouldn't say it in a bad way. I would, you know, be nice and everything. But that's all part of my game, trash talking. And I, I would love when I played against my friends. One of my good friends, Shannon Garrett, who actually started playing with me in Winnipeg, when I got the chance to play against him, oh, I tried. And he doesn't say much, but I was trash talking him. <laughs> I was trash talking, but as long as you're doing it and you're not saying anything malicious, you're not saying anything, you know, uh, d- demean or anything. I think trash talk should happen all the time. It's just part of the game. And after the game, I would shake their hand, say good game, have a smile on your face and everything. But it was part of my game. and I love doing it. <laughs> Do you want That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, I want to ask Milt, uh, you know, a lot of sports sometimes is, being able to compartmentalize, um, you know, being able to not try to try to not take the losses to heart, but also right. ha- try to have things to do away from the sport. How did you find balance throughout that time? Right. Because it's you're yeah. a little older. It's different now. Right. From where you were in college. 
but how did you find balance throughout this whole thing? Well, for me, and uh, you, you, you're talking about, you know, you, you, I, for me, I left football on the football field. And don't get me wrong, I was passionate about it. I wanted to win every single game. And if we didn't, I was mad. But the second I left the football field or the locker room, it was in the past. It's time to move on. That's football. It's time to get on the real life. You know, I have a wife. I have kids. My kids were young at the time. I mean, I have other things going on. And I can focus on those things. But yeah. on the football field, it was all about football. I had tunnel vision. I was all about winning. And sometimes uh, some of the other guys couldn't understand that. You know, they, they wanted to have their fun. And my thing was, this is what I do. This is who we are on the football field. And in other times, I mean, when you're off the football field, some guys would carry it off the football field. They were like, dude, you're not mad about what happened. You didn't play well. We didn't play well. And I tell them, no, it's left on the football field. It's left in the locker room. So I was able to do that. Uh, it's not easy sometimes. Yeah. On that line, is hard. But the second I cross that line, hey, life goes on. It's time to move on. If it's moving on to the next week, if it's spending time with family and friends, or if it's doing other businesses, if it's going out doing stuff in the community, it's time to move on. So uh, I was able to do that. It makes life easier. It also makes life uh, easier because you know eventually you're going to have to transition out of that sport. And majority of the time, that sport is divorcing you. You're not leaving. <laughs> if, you don't, if you're not able to separate yeah. those two, life and your sport, it's going to be very difficult when you're forced to separate from it. Milton, I want to talk about two moments, and I want to actually want to combine them. Um, I want to talk about uh, your 2002 when you won um, most outstanding player, but I also want you to give me what was your initial thoughts to that? What did that feel like? But also your hall of fame speech as well too. being that in that mm -hmm. uh, induction, what was those two moments like for you at that time? Because that's two pretty special things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Cause again, um, we put the work in and the results will come. Right. But I also know mm -hmm. on the other hand, I've seen a lot of people put some work in and they don't necessarily get all the recognition that they probably should. But what did those moments both feel like for you? So in 2002, I mean, th that was a special moment. Uh, and a lot of that credit has to go to my quarterback at the time, Kahari Jones, who's now the head coach for the Montreal Alouettes, because uh, Kahari and I, uh, we, we had a connection like no other. Uh, he sacrificed a lot that year as far as taking hits. Uh, we had a good offensive line. We had a great running back, uh, Charles Roberts, but the man was Kahari Jones and uh, we connected. We had a, we were able to communicate without communicating. Uh, we would do things that no one, not the offensive coordinator offense knew we were going to do these things, but we just were able to communicate. But that year, everything was just going my way. I was out there catching touchdowns, uh, running routes, I was available, meaning that I didn't get hurt. I didn't get hurt to the last game of the year. I couldn't play in the playoffs, but unfortunately, but that year was special. And then when I went to the award show, uh, my wife was there. We had just got married that year and she was there. So, I mean, it, it was a special feeling, you know, it's, it's something that can't be taken away from me. I mean, that trophy sits in my basement uh, to this day. And uh, my kids asked me, how was that year? And I tell them, you know, that, that, that was a special year. I mean, everything was just going my way. Um, you know, I, I put up 23 touchdowns, which is still a record to this day. I put up almost 1,900 yards, still a Winnipeg record. So that was a year where everything was just going my way. I could do no wrong. I mean, I could have 12 guys on me. They were still throwing the ball to me. And I was 
birthday. So that was my year. Um, getting inducted to the Hall of Fame 2012 was special also. It was special because, I mean, I, I was a, a first ballot Hall of Famer. That hasn't happened too many times. I got inducted with a good friend of mine, Damon Allen. Um, he should have been inducted the year before. He should have yeah. been a ballot, but, you know, he got inducted with me. And then I got inducted in Winnipeg. Say they've been inducted into the to the exactly where the place where they play. Yeah. So that was the most special thing. My family was there. My wife, my two sons, my best friend and his wife was there. Uh, my mother was there. I mean, it, it was just a special moment. Everything just came together. Being in Winnipeg with your closest family and friends, it was a special moment. And my speech originally, I was gonna write down some notes and say, "This is what I'm gonna say." And, try to memorize it, but I was like, hey, I mean, this has been in me for all my life. <laughs> let everything come out. And they said I had seven minutes, but I think I spoke for 12 minutes, but it felt like 20 seconds because that's how special it was. So uh, those special moments are, are something that I'll remember and and I cherish and, and I think about a lot. During those two moments, Mo, this 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 kind of just came to mind, you know, um the foundation that you had as a as a kid um with your mom and your dad. Did for that was there a moment where you said, you know what, uh, you know, dad, I think you'd be proud of me. You know, did you, did, did you ever have a moment like that? Oh, lots of moments. I mean, cause he, he was my biggest fan and, and my father, I don't know how he did it because he worked, he worked, he worked two jobs. He had outside businesses, but still found ways to come to my events. And I don't know how he did it. He still found ways to support me and my other siblings. So uh, every single special moment, I always think about my father. I still, think about him. I think about my mother who just passed away, you know, last Christmas. So they're always in my heart. They're always there uh, holding me up through the good times, through the bad times, letting me know that keep your head up. You can get through anything. We've seen you get through it. We've laid that foundation uh, and don't let get anything get you down. Don't let anyone uh, put allow you to put your head down. And, and as long as you have that attitude, you can get through anything. If there was one advice, two advice that you would give to, apart from the great stuff you just shared right there, but if there was one advice that you would give to an up-and-coming athlete who is trying to, look, I want to be like Milt Stiegel. Milt got 147 TDs. Like, I want to, I want to be able to do that. Um, what advice would you give them on the field, but also what advice would you give them away from the sport? Well, and, and, and this may encompass both of those on and off the field you, you have to surround yourself with individuals who are trying to achieve the same yes, thing yes sir yes sir when, when, when I was coming up there was a and I'm about to date myself there was a disc jockey in Cincinnati and when he used to leave the air he would always say if you can't change the people around you change the people around you meaning if the people around you aren't trying to do the same things you're trying to do aren't trying to achieve the same things you're trying to achieve. You got to get some people around you who are. So if you want to be a doctor, you got to get some people around you who are trying to be doctors, who are doctors. If you're trying to be a great athlete, if you're trying to excel to different levels, if you're trying to be a professional athlete or, or go to college, you have to get some people around you who are trying to do those same things you are. Because if not, you're going to eventually uh, morph into the people who are you around you. And if you got some people around you, that's who you're going to be, who you're going to become. So I always tell individuals who ask me, Get some people around you who are trying to do the same things you're trying to do. And you may have to separate yourself from some of your friends or some of your yeah. family members. But, hey, that's all part of the sacrifice. That's all part of the grind. And you'll look back on it and thank yourself uh, for that if you do do it. Oh, that's, that's, that's great. That's really good advice right there, Milt. Uh, 
Last fun five questions, man. Not going to be too hard. Well, shouldn't be too taxing. <laughs> Number one, uh, if you were about to be trapped on a deserted island for a week and you could only bring three things, what does Mel Steele bring into the island? Ooh, I'm bringing a mirror so I can look at my... <laughs> uh, I can bring anything. Anything. You got three. Can I bring my wife? You can bring your wife. We'll knock that off. Mirror and the wife. Uh, One bring more. my wife, a mirror. Man, see, I said the mirror, so I can't bring both of my sons. Uh, wife, and I'll bring a, a phone because my sons probably wouldn't want to be on there with me anyway. So I can just. <laughs> so my cell phone, my wife, and the mirror, and I'm good. <laughs> Question two: um, With everything that you know, your parents instilled in you, and I think this is such a powerful tool. I. Honestly, Milt, I think sometimes uh, kids take having two parents in the household for granted. Mm. Um, yes. Because, again, especially in, you know, Black people in our culture, yes. you know, it's, it's, yes. it's not really seen as much. I want right. to know, Milt, your parents instill some things in you. What are some things that you hope to instill in your sons or trying to? Because they may not take everything. <laughs> <laughs> But what are some things that 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 you would love to instill in them or have already? Well, every day we get in the car, and that's going to end soon. My oldest son is sixteen; he'll be driving soon. But I always tell him, you know, do your best and change the world. That's that's all I want him to do. You know, whatever your best is, do your best. But to do your best, uh, you have to do everything before that. You know, it, it and look in the mirror at the end of the day, and you got to see. And you can say, I did my best. That's all we can ask. Or they play soccer. If you can, after you walk off the soccer field, you can look in the mirror and say, I did all I can do. I worked the hardest I can. If you can say that, that's all we ask. That's all I asked of them. It's not, I want you to go out there and get straight A's. I want you to score 100 million goals. I want you to be the best soccer player, the best basketball player. I just want you to do your best and put your in your position to do your best. Like I said, you can look in the mirror and you can say that. My wife and I were super happy. Wow. You being a triple sport athlete, you know, but we're going to focus on the football and the track right now. You hear this all the time. People talk about which speed is different, which speed is this, which speed is that. Milt Stiegel, your name holds weight. Your voice holds weight. We need to settle this. What speed is the more dominant speed? Football or track? That's a difficult question. (laughs) In football, you have people in front of you you're trying to avoid. It's a little bit different. Don't get me wrong, track guys. And, you know, I've been a track guy. And, I mean, of course, I was nowhere near as fast as, <laughs> as you were. I could probably beat you. Now, I don't know if you've been trained. I'm not sure. So. Bill, I'm, hey, I'm still in shape. Anytime. 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 All right. All right. We might have to set that we're up. We're going to have to put that on the line. But, I mean, shucks. Track guys are, are, are definitely the fa- I used to hear, I mean, Tyreek Hill talk about he can get out there and run with like, no, Tyreek Hill could not get out there and run with these tracks. It's it's a different speed. You know, it, it's different dynamically. The training you do for track is so much different than football. But uh, I'm about to go with football. Like I say, man, I, sometimes I'm running full speed. I got a guy 250 pounds, and he smacks me in the face, and I got to get back up and run full speed again. The worst that happens in track is you run over a hurdle. Those hurdles don't hit back. It's not that big of a deal, so I'm definitely going with football. <laughs> Question four. Uh, I'm, I'm a firm believer that uh, you have to pour into yourself, right? Because you have to 
there's different energies you got to give throughout of your day. What is one thing that you have to do for yourself every single day? I, I just get up and, and I just sit down and just relax for a second. Mm. It's hectic. I'm an early riser, so I know I'll have time because my wife and kids ain't like that. Like, there's mornings I get up at four or five o'clock, so I just get up and just relax. If it's just five or 10 minutes and don't do anything, you know, don't get on the phone, don't read or anything, just get up and just say, just relax and just let everything come to me and realize that, okay, I'm alive and everything is good. And now I can get my day going. Cause once it gets going, it gets you know, going, it gets hectic. So yeah, I just like to just sit down or lay down or whatever it may be and just let everything just come to me and relax. Uh, Milt, last question, man. You've, um, you've been through a lot in your life. You've done some great things, still doing some great things um, on TV and, 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 but you know, sometimes, uh, Sometimes the kids don't know what they have in front of them. So they don't necessarily always ask the right questions. But I want to know, Milt, if, if, if there was one word to describe you, what would that one word be? And then give me a little context behind it and give me a why. Hmm. One word. I've never been asked that. Uh... Oh, man, that's a good one. Oh, man, you got me thinking. <laughs> I would say... I would say resilient. I would say resilient because uh, resilient almost to a fault sometimes, but uh, I I feel that there's nothing that uh, can get in the way of me uh, trying to get where I want to get. May not get there, uh, but there's nothing that's going to actually stop me from trying. Regardless of how many times you knock me down, how many times I get smacked, uh, my opponent, whatever it may be, I'm going to try to best of my ability to get where I want to get. As I alluded to, I may not always get there, but there's nothing that's going to, no one is going to say you can't do or I'm going to stop you from getting there. I'm going to try my best to get there. So I think that word that that describes me to the T. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's. Definitely. I, I think that's the word that describes me. That's powerful. I may not always get there, but I'm still going. I'm still going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to attempt it. I'm going to attempt it. Yes. Bill, thank you so much for your time, man. I know uh, I know things are about to get busy with the season coming up for you um, and getting back on um, on TV and announcing the games and everything, man. But uh, where can people keep in touch with you? I know, you know, social media is always evolving, but uh, I know you got to yes. stay with I know you got to stay with the times. But, you know, if people want to reach out and interact with you, man. What what is the best way to do so? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm on social media. Uh, I'm not always super active, but I, I I'm trying to get more active. I'm on uh, Twitter, uh, Milt Stegel, TSN. I'm on Instagram. It's just Milton Stegel. Uh, my number is nine one one, so you can call me. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you you can reach out to me that way, and I always try to interact with fans. Anytime anyone reaches out to me, I always uh, get back in touch with them. I love interacting. Uh, that's my way of staying around the game without without actually playing the game. So that's the best way to reach me. Uh, you'll see me on TV watching CFL games. Uh, we're back this year. I know everyone missed us last year, but we're back this year, and I'm looking forward to getting back out there and talking some football, definitely. And I'm also looking forward to racing. You know, we what we what, 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 
what city? What, we could do it in your city. I'm not biased to any any city. You know, I did okay. work in Winnipeg. We're gonna before. set this up. We're we gonna set this up, and whatever event you want to choose, <laughs> and then afterwards we're gonna put on some pads and we're gonna do a little football. We gotta balance. Now we'll do the football first because that'll slow you down some. Maybe, so. We can. I can come down to Atlanta. I, I did some work in Atlanta. I ran some time. Hey, you let me know. We'll put it together. You're uh, real confident right now. I, I like that. I you like. Know, I. I preparation i just i just i just wait for opportunity bill right, don't, don't don't let don't let the birth certificate fool you don't let the birth certificate fool you <laughs> bill thank you so much for your time man i appreciate you and honestly um uh you're a person of character you know you are who you say you are and for me um that trumps all of the football accomplishments man you've done some great things but character you can always character you can't inherit that you know, (laughs) every day, every day you got to choose that. Um, so I appreciate you, man. Thank you again for your time. And, um, I look forward to uh, when we can connect in person before the race, before the competition, we can touch base. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me on, man. Definitely. Thank you very much. Uh, Take care, man. All right. You too.